Could it be that up in heaven God is sitting on His throne Anticipating another sinner Will soon become His own Years of wasted living And years of toil and strife are just about to be over as he receives the gift of life. Go sound the horn, strike up the choir. A sinner is saved, saved from the fire. No more in darkness. He received my son, all heaven rejoices, that's the value of one. The Holy Spirit has been working to soften up a heart, all he needs is a willing servant. To simply do his part Can you imagine up in heaven The joy there'll be that day When a sinner bows his head to pray Can't you hear the Father say Go sound the horn Strike up the choir A sinner is saved Saved from the fire, no more in darkness. He received my son, all heaven rejoices. That's the value of one. Start construction on his mansion. There on Hallelujah Street He doesn't know yet what is waiting When the Savior He will meet He'll meet Go sound the horn Strike up the choir A sinner is saved Saved from the fire no more in darkness He received my Son All heaven rejoices That's the value of one All heaven rejoices That's the value of one value of one. Boy, nobody knows that better than me. I was the one. Amen? Man, that's something, man. Aren't you glad you were the one? And if you haven't been, you better get to be one of those ones. Yes, you better settle that one real quick. Well, take your Bible, turn over the book of First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. We're still in our study here. And uh, let's just take a few moments tonight and look at just a couple verses. Um, 
maybe just one, we'll see how far we get, but 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, we're going to begin in verse 10. Now we've been talking about, obviously, Timothy and the Apostle Paul, and I don't know that we need to belabor the facts or the truths of the word when it comes to the background. We've kind of been over that over and over again. But I don't know that we can ever underestimate or overvalue, I should really say, the investment that the man of God made in another man of God. Now again, I, you know, I, I, we talk about it all the time and we, we say things like, you know, well, you know, Timothy was Paul's protege and Paul was his, you know, father in the faith and Timothy was the son in the faith and all of that. But sometimes I think that kind of flies right over our head a little bit. And we don't really grasp the gravity of it. Literally, there would be no Timothy in the Word of God without a Paul. And that's something that we need to be aware of and we need to be very conscious of. And listen, I'm, I'm all for soul winning. I believe we need to win souls and I believe it's important that we tell others about Christ. But there would be no Timothy without a Paul. And so when we really get down to it, the gospel stops right here. If there are no Pauls in this crowd. So as wonderful it is to come back and have a notch on the gun belt, as good as it is to be able to open our Bibles and lead someone to Christ at a door, possibly in a hospital room or maybe at a restaurant or wherever it may be, that's good and it's necessary. It's to be commended. But there'd be no Timothy without a Paul. I want to encourage you as you go forward in your Christian life to find your Timothy. Because if you don't have a Timothy in your life, you leave no legacy. And you are forgotten like that when you die. Timothy's continue the legacy. Your children may not continue your Christian legacy. But a Timothy will. I want to encourage you to remember that there was a Paul. And then there was a Timothy. And if you're saved tonight, God help us to find our Timothys. Without a Timothy, your Christianity ends with you. And that's a sad thing, isn't it? To take your Christianity to the grave and not have a living faith after you lived a lifetime. And God help us. Now, notice if you will, as we consider some passages from last week, we talked about the fact or learned some valuable truths. One of them in 1 Timothy 6, 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And of course, we had the example of Job. And so we learned about Job, and we learned about the fact that as wonderful as it may be to acquire or accumulate wealth in this life, and as 
comfortable as it may be, the reality is, is that we're not taking it with us, are we? Then we saw in chapter 6, verse 8, and having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Basically, Paul you know, tells us to be content if our basic needs are supplied. The word translated content, we said, conveys the thought of having enough. Being content means I've got enough. I'm okay. I'm good to go. We also learned that riches can be deceptive in chapter and verse 9. And Paul explained that the rich would fall into some temptation and a snare if they weren't careful. And some people, we said, are determined to be rich. And we understand that that particular goal in life is not permitted in Scripture, nor is it really productive in life. If that is our goal, if that is the one thing that matters, if our emphasis and our priority is simply riches, uh, we're going to pay and so will those around us. We noted that with Achan. may or may not have talked about him last week, but it was a case. But we also learned this, and this is very important. It's not necessarily the desire to possess millions. It may simply be to have more than we really need. See, that too can be the wrong pursuit. It's the same exact thing. Someone says, I'm not, uh, I'm not pursuing to be rich. I, I don't have to have a, a lot of money, but... I do want things that above and beyond my needs. To be content with some things, he says. And he says, food and raiment. Now, we got to verse 10, and that's kind of where everything ended. I don't even know that I focused on this very much, but it says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. This verse has been used a number of times, obviously. It's nothing new. You've probably heard it over and over and over again. And we often say, we, we often say things like, well, it's not money, but it's the love of money. And, and that's true. It is absolutely true. But we notice that while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And again, we could go back to Achan. And Achan saw that Babylonian garment, saw that wedge of gold. And although God had commanded that no one was to partake of the spoil, he stole it. He kept it to himself. Hit it, and before it was over with, the lot fell on Achan and his family. And Achan and his family paid the penalty and the price. And friend, let me tell you, there's no sin in your life as a man for sure. And even as a woman that's a mom or a wife, there is no way in the world that you can sin and it not affect others. It's impossible impossible. Not only will the sin itself affect those around you, but the consequences of that sin will surely do so. And then we move now forward, and Paul's going to address this particular evil. And he's going to seek to encourage Timothy. And again, he's going to try to help Timothy understand and try to encourage him to stay away from this temptation, this aspect of money. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 11, the Bible says, 
But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Continuing, we reread, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. We'll stop right there tonight, but the bottom line is, is that we've come from this particular passage here where he's dealing with this aspect of riches and their temptations and the love of money and how they'll wreck and destroy and ruin a life. And he says to the man of God, he says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. Paul challenges Timothy now. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. It's interesting that title, man of God. You realize that it's a title that's really not used that often in the Bible. It's used in the Old Testament, really, for prophets. We think of Elijah. We think of Moses. We think of certain men like that. It was used for those men, just some of those men. But the fact is, is that it ends with Timothy. You realize there's not one other person named man of God in the Bible after Timothy? It's the last time it's used in Scripture. Obviously, that word is, because it's so rare, because it is associated with an Old Testament prophet, I'm sure had, was intended to provide Timothy with, I guess, an element of authority, maybe to, to kind of contrast him with the, those that are consumed with the lust of money or the love of money versus those that are truly men of God. And so what we see here then is that those who are consumed with money, those that make it their life, those that make it the priority of their life, then they cannot be, nor are they, men of God. I don't care how big their churches are. It doesn't matter how successful they may appear in the eyes of people. The reality is, is if their goal and their heart is to, to the love of money, then they're not truly men of God. But let me say this, though. What about you tonight? You may not stand behind a pulpit, but last time I checked, we're all the same in Christ. We have the same responsibilities outside of the pulpit, obviously. As a pastor, I'm, I'm responsible for your souls, according to Hebrews, of course. But the fact is, is that you aren't to love money either. You don't have to covet money either. I mean, that shouldn't be your great goal, and your great love is financial stability, although it becomes a part of all of our lives, and someone says, well, money's a necessity. It is, but when you start thinking that the money is the thing that makes you stable or successful, you got a problem. You know, we got these numbers on a thermometer, and our goal is to keep raising that up. We're right around 61,000 as of Sunday. Man, I tell you what, somebody that loves money is going to have a hard time giving to that beyond their means. Oh, they can give what's left over. They can give conveniently. I mean, if I made $200,000 and I gave $2,000 to the building fund or to the, the faith promise, that's not a whole lot, is it? It's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm not hearing anything, but I think that's true, don't you think? I mean, when LeBron James buys $10,000 worth of bicycles, I mean, is it really worthy of all the acclamation? His endorsements are over $40 million a year. 
What's $10,000? Now listen to me. I'm not saying that it's not good what he does, and I'm glad he does it, because there's many others that do nothing. But my point being is, is it really sacrifice? No sacrifice there. The picture we have in the Bible is of an old widow. We assume it's old. (laughs) She's old. But she may not. The widows might. Here she is now, giving her last bit. Nothing left. See, it wasn't how much she gave. It's what she had left that Jesus cared about. It's amazing, isn't it? I don't think she loved money. Someone says, well, she had none to love. (laughs) Well, that's probably true. At least she didn't have any after she gave it. The love of money. And so he's saying, listen, man of God, flee these things. That to me from the man of God. You know, he's called a man of God. You think, a man of God ought to stand and fight this temptation to, of finances or money or the love of money. He ought to stand against it with all his heart and fight it. But Paul says, flee. Reminds us of Joseph, doesn't it? Here's Joseph facing Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife makes a, 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 um, a pass. That's a good word. And um, he doesn't stick around. Before it's over with, she's you know, rips his coat right off and boom, he takes off. Now, I don't know. I, can't, I just not one of you ladies in this room, if I took off running, could rip this off of me. You would be dragging behind me on the floor. Now, I don't know what in the world happened with Joseph. I don't know how that happens. I don't know if he had a, you know, a tearaway jersey on. I'm not sure what he had. But either way, somehow, some way, this, there it is. There's his coat, you know, his, his outer garment. Boom, he's gone. He flees. You know, it's amazing to me how many people have a better plan than God's. You say, what do you mean? It's amazing to me how many will say, well, I can handle it. I can deal with this. And you know what? That's really what that's called is this right here. I can muscle it out. I'll fight it. I'll stand against it. He says, flee. A man of God doesn't face temptation and flirt with temptation. He flees from temptation. And so does a woman of God. Paul wanted Timothy to flee from the desire to be rich as if it were the plague. So Timothy's off to the races now. I mean, he just says flat out, flee these things. And Paul stops and says, hey, wait, don't just run from the temptation of riches. But follow after some things. Don't, don't just run away from the temptation, but actually run towards something. I, I think we would often call that the, 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 the um, what's that, uh, I don't know, idea of replacement. What do you call that? There's a word. The uh, philosophy of replacement or something. I don't know. So if you take one thing away, you actually put something else in its place, it's good. And so I guess he's saying, now listen, there's going to be a desire, Timothy. There's going to be a longing for this love of money. Listen, and by the way, we're all prone to it. 
Some more than others. There's no doubt, some more than others. But, but see, if that's not that thing, you're a little more than others, you've probably got another area you're more than others. But you're still like others. Nobody's any different in the room here. We're all the same. We're all flesh. It, it, it's always humorous to me when people sit in my office and say, yeah, but you just don't understand. I, I really have a problem with this. I'm, you know, I just have a problem with this. And I'm like, good for you. You're the only guy, only gal that has a problem with this like that. Are you kidding me? How arrogant and prideful is that, really? How, how condescending is that to other people? Oh, well, you can be right with God, but I'm struggling because I'm different. I have a much more difficult time with it than you do. So, my, you know, God understands that. That's really what they're trying to tell me. No, God doesn't understand anything because we're all the same. So you might struggle with the, 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 you know, the, the root of all evil, which is the love of money. And maybe you're not quite as bad in other areas. But we all have those areas. And you know what? If you're a guy in the room today and you're serious about providing for your family, you struggle with this. You have a hard time with this. Because, see, when we are told that it's a good thing to provide for our family, if we're not careful, we think, well, if I provide well for my family, then I'll be a good man. And we, we take pride in that. And now all of a sudden, we're providing before it's over with and not him. And there's a danger there. You've got to be careful of that. You know, we can point at preachers all day long, and there's no doubt there have been some preachers that have really, really got off, you know, fell off the apple cart. They've messed up big time. But boy, for every preacher that's messed up, I can guarantee you there's been numerous in the crowd of believers who have done the same. It's just that his is more visible because he's public. And his standard's higher, at least in the eyes of people. And there's no doubt because he stands behind a pulpit and because he's a pastor of a church, he takes on a new and a, and a, and a, and a more of a, a responsibility for others. No doubt about that. But see, to me, to be frank with you, there's no difference standing here than sitting out there because honestly, I in my life have never thought the standard was any different when I stand here than when I sat there. It's always been the same to me. And that's why I'm not a phony, folks. That's why when you come to my house, you see what you see and you get what you get. You know, I not like it all the time, but I'm always the same because I've never changed from the time I sat there faithfully than when I stood here faithfully. You know where we're having problems in our pulpits today? Is we've got people that aren't sitting faithful in those chairs and they're trying to stand faithful in this pulpit. And we're having problems. What's going on with our children and what's going on with our generation today? We've got people sitting in pews that aren't faithful. And then they're going to stand and say, this is how you do it. And people see this. And he's telling Timothy, you have a responsibility as pastor of that church and every single member of your church to flee from this scourge. Money is the root of all evil, he says. That's amazing. I mean, really, for the love of money is the root of all evil. 
of all the things in the world. That's the root of all evil. It's crazy to me. That's amazing to me. You better settle your money issues first in your life, obviously. If you're not giving according to the Word of God, every area in your life's messed up. Because obviously you love something that you're not supposed to love. I mean, I'm just saying it's the root of all evil. Therefore, you're, you're at the root of all evil. <laughs> because you say, I can't let go of it. <laughs> well, you must love it pretty good. You must love it. Uh, Timothy, he told that to Timothy. Yeah, well, remember, Timothy's a pastor, and he's telling the people. He's passing this truth down. Listen, don't think for a minute that the standard for Timothy is any different than the people in the pew. Oh, Timothy, you're not supposed to uh, be involved in gossip. Oh, so the people are allowed? Oh, Timothy, you're not allowed to deviate from truth, but the people are allowed? Oh, Timothy, you're not permitted to dabble in uh, seditions and, and profane babblings, but the people are? No. The book may have been written to Timothy, who was a young preacher, but the truth is it's written to you and I today. It's for us. So what do you love tonight? What do you love? See, I love my wife. If you really love her, you won't let her go. So if you love your money, what won't you do? You won't let it go. You may conveniently let some things go. You let the wife go to the store. You let the wife go to the ladies' advance because it may help you in the end, fellas. But you only let go what you're willing to let go, not what God's really asking for. Hey, all I'm saying is, if the shoe fits, wear it. It's great when you don't have to bring money up in the, in the services. Because it's, it's just wonderful when he brings it up. And he brought it up today. I didn't. It's his fault. Because I'm just going through the book. So flee these things, he says. Man, flee them. Get away from them. And so he says, what did he say? Follow after righteousness, godliness. We see those first two there. Notice in the passage again, right off the bat in verse 10, for the, uh, verse 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. In other words, he's saying basically this, we are to flee from worldliness and into the arms of Christ-likeness. That's what he's really saying. You realize in these two terms that we have here, we see a picture of divine character. I mean, divine character is described by these words, righteousness and godliness. And when we become Christ-like, that righteousness that he's talking about describes our integrity toward man. We are righteous before mankind. We are right in the eyes of man. But then he also talks about this godliness. That deals with our integrity toward God. He goes on to tell him to follow after faith and love. 
in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 17. The Bible says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what we find then is, is that the word faith directs our attention to the what? The word of God again. You know, Jesus lived according to the word of God. He never deviated from the word of God. He always fulfilled the word of God. He never walked away from it. He never neglected it. He never turned his back on it. He always did what the Bible said to do. Fulfilled it. The Bible tells us, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God, Hebrews 10, 7. Jesus said, I come to do thy will, O God. Well, what's it, where's his will written? Where's it expressed? In the word of God. You know, listen, do not be deceived by someone that always says, well, God told me. God told me. Oh, really? Where's he, where did he tell you that? Well, I just, I just felt like it. Okay. You just felt like it. You got any scriptures that would back up why you feel the way you feel? Any foundation for your illumination? Or revelation? Do you have any? I just feel God wants me to do this. Okay. Is it scriptural what you're going to do? Because if it's not in this book and it's not supported in this book, then don't tell me God's telling you to do it. Makes no sense. I hope that makes sense. Because really, in the age in which we live, so many people have decided to do what they feel is best and not what God says is right. That's a reality of our life, our day. Listen, you, people don't care what the truth is anymore. All they care about is how they feel. And it's sad when it enters the church house. It's sad if the preacher, and again, I don't know, nor do I have any idea or reason to believe that it's in this place, but it would be sad to think, and again, I've heard of it from other preachers, they stand and proclaim the word of God, and people go, well, I don't agree with that. Well, wait a second. Why don't you? It's here. What's wrong? I don't feel like, I don't agree with that. What do you, what do show me why you don't. Well, I know what it says in the Bible. I just don't think that's what God means. Okay. So we got down to the root of it. You don't feel. That's the reality of it. And that's what's going on. Well, I didn't like that the preacher preached on money. Why not? Jesus preached on it. And I'm not talking about every service, but wait a second. Have you read your Bible lately? Didn't Brother Van Horn say that he preached more on finances than he even preached on hell? And I've heard that other places. And I've read through the Bible, and let me tell you, he talks about it a lot. But then the preacher does, and we go, man, he's overboard. He preached on it at least twice this year. It's driving me nuts. And that's a reality, folks. A preacher can say one thing about one thing, and somebody says, that's all you ever talk about. Can you imagine someone being upset because they say the church... Now, now hold on. I, I understand it can happen. Don't, don't misunderstand me. 
but where's the philosophy? Where's this mindset come? We don't like. It seems like all the preacher ever talks about is souls. Is that a problem? I mean, all he talks about is winning souls and reproducing yourself and others. I mean, it just drives me nuts. Why don't you preach on something else once in a while? Where's, where's that? I mean, come on. Have you read the Bible lately? I'm just saying, have we read this book? And I'm not saying that it doesn't get uncomfortable sometimes, especially if we're in rebellion and disobedience. It does hurt, and I don't like it. And I've been sitting in services and thinking, man, get off of it. But usually it's because there's something inside going, you're the one. <laughs> Deal with it. Deal with it. And I'm like, shut up. I've been there. Plenty. And there are times that preachers just get a little overboard and preach on the same thing over and over again. That's happened. It does. But I never do that. So, but notice he says here, so then faith coming by hearing, we said, so faith. And, and then, of course, there's this element here. And we're going to close this down. But he talks about this thing real quickly. He says, let me find the verse again. He says, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love. That, that word love. Well, I'll tell you what, that, that's something that characterizes Christ, doesn't it? God is love. And, and, and listen, you say, well, that's God. I know Jesus is God, by the way. I just thought I'd get, let you know. But love. Boy, do we need to work on that. Remember our, our you know, add to your faith. Virtue and add to your faith, temperance and patience, add godliness, kindness, and there it is. There it is. Boy, that one's a missing element today, isn't it? Boy, we, we struggle with it. We could preach on this all the time. My wife said to me one time, well, she said more than once, I, she said, you need to preach that message again tonight <laughs> and then Wednesday. And then next Sunday morning, and Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and Sunday morning, and Sunday night. You know what she was getting at? That sometimes we could use that over and over again because maybe we, we need it. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I know I do. Boy, this is an area we've got to really work on is this love thing. Hey, love doesn't mean this. You're the greatest guy in the world, you adulteress, adulterer. You're the greatest guy in the world. You drug addicts and you're selling dope to kids. You're the greatest guy in the world. You're the best. No, you need to go to jail, sir, selling drugs to kids. See, charity doesn't mean that I accept what he does and accept uh, what, what he's all about. I love him as a person. I want his soul saved and I want him to get right with God. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't like a thing he's doing if he's doing things that go contrary to that book. I don't like a thing he's doing. And I can't pretend to like it. Well, you're the, you know, you know. <laughs> and that's not love, folks. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. As iron sharpeneth iron. Whatever happened to, man, you're going down the wrong path. You better get it right, man. You've got to get it right now. Come on. And you're going to end up in the wrong place. Dude, I love you, and I don't want to see you go there. That's it. Amen. Whatever happened to that? Well, we, you know, he'd say, you don't love me. You're judging me. 
I don't know. I, I, he obviously does not know what the biblical definition of love is. Because, see, he feels another way than what God says it ought to be. Again, it's feelings again. Love. And then finally, he closes with this passage. He says, you better follow after some things. Yeah, you flee from this aspect of the love of money, but then follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Who was ever more patient with you than Jesus Christ? Anybody ever more patient with you than Jesus? You say, my wife is. Well, maybe, but she obviously doesn't know a lot of things then. She wouldn't be that patient if she knew all the truth. And it's the same with you. You ladies don't think. My husband's very patient with me. Yeah, if he knew all the things going on, he wouldn't be so patient. But Jesus does, and he's still patient with us. He's so long-suffering, and he puts up with us. He's so patient with the world. Think about the world. Man, it's amazing, isn't it? And these are all godly characteristics. And, and you take these six things, you, these, these six little things that he tells us to, to follow after. And, and what we basically see is that they describe the character of Christ. And so he's saying, listen, flee from the love of money. Get away from it. And follow after Christ-likeness. Follow after righteousness and godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. And those are the characteristics that ought to define every single believer. He simply says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. May God help us to follow after those things. Yes, to flee temptation and to flee the love of money, but to follow after Christ's likeness. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. And Lord, we just ask you to bless us now. Give us a time now, Father, of just reflection. Father, help us, Lord, in these next minutes to obey you and to be open to you. Lord, again, uh, praise God for uh, how you bless us. In